This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Let's be honest, there's an expectation that the offices that architects work out of should be interesting and expertly designed environments, full of moments that demonstrate just how clever they are while enticing potential clients to hire them or get potential employees to want to be hired. At least, that's what we're talking about today. Welcome to episode 113 in Architect's Office. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we're going to talk about the office of an architect. Or should I say, architects. (laughs) Well, as you know, we try to make the topics we cover on the show relevant as best we can. And we draw upon our own experiences to provide the fodder for the topics that we cover. And to that end, my company, at least the one where I work, Boca Pal, is going to be moving into new offices in the next six months, and the process is taking up a lot of my unassigned bandwidth in addition to some portion of my assigned bandwidth. So we had a different topic that we were going to talk about today. And I was laying in bed last night, and I couldn't sleep, and it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. And I thought, we should talk about this, because it's literally a big chunk of what I'm doing right now. Because it's all I'm thinking about all the time. (laughs) I mean, literally, it's three o'clock in the morning and I'm laying in bed thinking about this. Yeah. yeah. And unlike what normally happens, I go, okay, remember, remember, remember. And then I go to sleep and I wake up in the morning and I don't remember. Yeah. So I I took my phone and I, you know, I opened up Notepad Mm. and I typed out a couple of notes. And I'm pretty sure that the bright light from my phone just like made me that much more awake. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we pivoted and we decided, hey, this is what we're going to talk about. And one of the reasons I thought it would be interesting to talk about is not only because it's something I'm currently spending a lot of time on, but I realized in the last 20 plus years, thereabouts, I've worked for three different architecture firms. In each one of those architecture firms, I got hired, I worked in an office, and then within a not so distant future, we designed new offices and moved into them, all three of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, And if people in my current office listen to this, they might go, wait a minute. But I'm going to say, I've kind of played a fairly significant role in the design of all of them. Mm -hmm. Less so the Boca Pal office, because we have an entire interiors department that this is what they do. Yeah. So they're really leading the charge on this, but I'm the main architect day to day that's working on the project. Like in the group, there's like four interior designers and me. Yeah. I got you. I designed an office that was built and that we moved into when I was working, actually right before I bought the company, and then redesigned another space and then actually designed a third. So I've I've gone through the process of designing three different office spaces actually in the past 15 years. I mean, they're all my own. They're all much smaller, of course, but yeah, I've actually, I've got a little bit of experience with trying to work that out as well. Well, so... Here's another reason why I thought it's interesting, because I've had a lot of conversations that I've forced upon people. (laughs) Because, I mean, let's be honest. First off, 100 people in the offices is a little new for me, right? That's not what my background is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's a much different kind of problem-solving process, or there's so many additional considerations to the dynamics of an office that has 100 people. Sure. 
We have HR departments and accounting department and legal department, and we have owners and we have principals and we have senior associates and we have CA department and we have interior design department. We have architects. There's all that, which that was not an issue. At the other offices, we're like, person one sits here, person two sits here, person three sits here. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was a lot less kind of moving parts we had to consider. On top of that, one of the things that's made this process interesting, and maybe we've made it harder than it needs to be, and that is coming out of the pandemic, we're trying to understand who we are again. And I don't think that that's unique to me or my firm because I've asked people. Yeah, probably any business is doing that right now. Yeah. Culture's changed. Yeah. Like who we were is not who we are and how people want to work and distancing and collaborating. Days in, days out. Well. I mean, some. Yeah, for sure. But like now we use technology that we had before, but we actually use it. And B, use it a lot. Everybody can use it, not just the techno geek people that were like, oh, you know, you should sign on and do virtual meetings. Sure. Yeah, nobody did that. Now everybody knows how to do it. Yeah. We're all like, come on, man, unmute yourself. You're muted. <laughs> like the patience you that people moron. have. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing. Yeah, they don't have it anymore. No. So we thought, well, here's an opportunity for us to address culture mm. and redefine it and figure out how we want to work in this new post-COVID existence, rather than just assume that what we had can be bottled up and re-poured out in this new larger footprint. Somewhere else, yeah. Just more of the same, (laughs) essentially, right? Well, yeah. I mean, we have all the same problems we're solving, but there's additional layers and nuances to it now that that's different. Like one example is we have a lot more principles now Mm -hmm. than when this office was originally created. So... The one I'm in now, there's offices for the owners, Mm. and that's it. And we have three conference rooms. And it's really like we have the big one, we have the medium one, and we have a small one. Yeah, That's kind of how it worked. And I think that that suited their needs for quite a while. That is not going to work for us now. Yeah, I broke down our conversation into a a bunch of kind of consideration blocks that internally our team has been discussing, or at least trying to discuss and find some kind of agreed upon resolution. And I thought it'd be interesting to kind of chat about them because I can't be the only one that's thinking about these things and going through it. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's start at the top. Like this is the biggest, I got 20,000 square foot floor plate. (laughs) Yeah. What next? So we had conversations about where do people sit? And this had to do with like hierarchy. And we try to, in my opinion, I feel like we're lateral. You know, like where I sit now, the person that sits next to me is two years out of school. Mm -hmm. And she's been sitting next to me since she was nine months out of school. Mm -hmm. So we don't have a lot of, ooh, senior people get this and junior people don't get this. Yeah, yeah. In our office. Now, there was a little bit of, you know, I've mentioned we have pods and we have a, I'll have drawings. I'll show the layouts for all these offices I'm talking about in the show notes. But we have what I like to call murderer's row. It's the one hallway that everybody's got to walk down and you just peel off to go into your, mm-hmm. your work area. And each work area has like 12 desks in it or 10 desks, depending on how wide it is. There is a bit of a hierarchy that the closer you are to murderer's row, the more junior you are. And the further away, which puts you closer to the glass, mm-hmm. the windows, the more senior you are. Gotcha. Yeah. 
And that's fairly true throughout the entire office. But what's funny is I'm the only, that's not true, there's one other person. There's two non-owners that have corner window desks. I have one, and a guy in our office named Bill has one. People are like, it's like you got the corner office. And I'm like, this desk is the worst because it's hot in the summer. It's cold in the winter. I've got glare. I can't see my screen. Because it's fully exposed all the time. And yeah. Yes. No one just walks by and goes, hey, Bob, like you have to want to come talk to me. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So optically, it looks great from a performance Mm. standpoint. It's not ideal. And so when we started to think about where do people sit, we took the approach that Every single person, all the people that would sit in a workstation, they get glass. They get to sit. The way that we've got everything laid out is they're the ones that are on an exterior wall, or they're the ones that, unlike our current office, we rotate everybody to 90 degrees, so Mm -hmm. you sit perpendicular to the glass. So if you're typing on your computer, you look to your right or to your left, and you see the window. The glass, yeah. Yeah. And the furthest seat is three desks. Oh, I got you. So nobody's really that far from the glass. All the people that have like like an office, mm-hmm. they're internal. Like I look at windows, but I look across a hallway and then everybody in their workstations to see the glass. Yeah, and then a bunch of desks too. Yeah. Yeah. So we made we made the decision that from an organizational standpoint, that people with like owners and principals and whatever, they're internal. Yeah. They're on the elevator core, internal stairwells. Okay. Sure. Which, I don't know, it seems like that's a good idea. I mean, it doesn't phase me at all. Yeah, sometimes yes, sometimes no. I mean, you know, in my, in my old office, in the one that you've been to, my office that I was in had zero windows. Yeah. I could look out the door and see glazing, but internally there were no windows. Didn't you have some high windows or something? No, no. The end of my office was all polycarbonate, so there was light coming in, but it wasn't glazing. Hmm. And- there are times where it got to be a little like, mm, I feel like I'm in a dungeon. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, I'm the person that designed it, right? And so I'm like, mm, this was not a good idea. <laughs> it sounds bad. <laughs> I made a mistake. But, you know, again, it's that thing of wanting all the other people, all the stations out there were had access to better daylight than I did, essentially. So you know, I kind of took a sacrifice for my employees in a way. But I think in a couple of other offices that I've designed, I've done something similar though, where the the offices themselves were on the interior and then open workspace, whether it was cubicles or just desks or whatever, were around the perimeter so that that light was there for everybody else. Well, you mentioned cubicles. Yeah. So I'm going to switch to a topic. I'm not sure that we got this right even though we all know what we're getting ourselves into, because what we have now is pretty much an open studio. Okay. And people were fairly adamant about wanting an open studio. By that, you're just meaning it's like desk and there's no cubicle partition walls or anything. It's just, I mean, it's sort of like studio. There's desks. Mm -mm. I mean, they may be organized in a certain way, but I could sit in one end and essentially see all the way across the studio, right? If I stand up, I can see... Almost the entire length. Now, yeah, yeah. we have a free-floating conference room. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you imagine it's a rectangle. Sure. The very center. So, it's like an O mm-hmm. is where all the spaces are laid out. So, the long, flat bottom part, we have a conference room 
that's on the glass in that area. So we end up kind of having like, here's a block of workstations block. Yeah. and then this conference room and then another block of workstations. So you can't look the entire length of the building, but you can look across eight rows of desks, for example. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I got you. And it's funny. We don't use cubicles now. We have spines. We have furniture system and all the electrical and data runs through a spine in the desk yeah. and a butt into the spine. Like when I sit at my desk, I can look through my desk and see the back of the head of the person that sits next to me. Mm -hmm. And it's fine. But we started having conversations about well, how noisy does it get because everybody's on Zoom calls or they're on Teams call and mm -hmm. we'll have leadership like <laughs> the other day, I was on a leadership council call and they're asking me a question and I'm talking. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Should you like go get yeah. into like a private room? Sure. Because they can see I'm sitting at my desk. But it just so happened that like literally no. there was nobody in my entire area. Like there was nobody within 30 feet of me. Gotcha. And I was like, no, it's fine. But it's that idea that how much noise do you start creating an open seating area because not only we're not putting a ceiling in either. Like we want the height. Mm, yeah. We want it as tall as possible. So we've kind of already got into it, but this is the section that I kind of wrote down is open studio versus mm, something compartmentalized. Yeah. And I know if you go do really any research on open plan offices, <laughs> the reports say don't do it. Yeah. I think it just depends on what's really happening. But I think there's a way to do a little bit of both. I mean, I think we as architects can figure out a way to make it happen where it's not 100% open, but it's also not a cube farm where, you know, everybody's stuck in their own cubicle. And when I'm sitting at my desk, all I see is tan, press board. Fabric covered panels. Yeah, things around me everywhere except for my little hole where I get in and out. Because I don't think that's conducive to anything other than depression. But I think there's some way to find a happy medium. But I do think now that there is a big issue of, of noise. I mean, there always was even people talking on the phone and that sort of stuff. But it's a little bit more now because at some point, everybody could be on a Zoom call or a Teams meeting, right? And right. then that starts to be a little bit, if we're crowded in too right. tight or whatever, it gets to be a problem. So I, here's what's funny. So I did a little research and I found out some things that they go, here's what the data tells us. And I wrote down just a couple of them. I went, okay, I think we get it. So. Increased negative mood by 25%. For open offices? Open plans. <laughs> For open offices, increase the negative mood by 25%. Interesting. Sweat response by 34%. What the heck is sweat response? I think that's like just like stress. Like stress? You know, oh, uh, yeah, like, oh, you know, and I don't know. I didn't read the paper. Come on, man. I just <laughs> looked for the bullet points. Just perused, yeah. I just perused 62% more sickness absence in those types of spaces than in one person offices. Now that one's interesting. That's a big number. Yeah, that is a big number. Okay. And then the last one I wrote down was people in one person cell offices perform 14% better on cognitive tasks, which basically says you're able to focus better. Yeah. So there was an article that I found written in September of this year, 2022, by David Brooks, published in the New York Times. And I copied part of it here. And it says, for decades, research has found that open plan offices are bad for companies, bad for workers, bad for health, and bad for morale. 
Uh, he's just look. Yeah, it's they're they're terrible. That's the first sentence. That's oh. sentence number one. Ouch. He goes, and yet they just won't die. Human beings, if they are to thrive, need a bit of privacy, walls and a door. And yet employers, decade after decade, neglect to give workers what they need, refuse to do what's in their own self-interest. The ideology of open plan workplaces associates walls in a room with authoritarianism, hierarchy, and social isolation. If you put people together in one big room or in low cubicles, the popular thinking goes they will collaborate. A spirit of egalitarian togetherness will reign. No, it doesn't. Interesting. Yeah. There's like 20 links to like all these white paper. And they're like in 1975, this research says people want to die. And this one in 74, this one in 81, and this one in 87, <laughs> and this one in 90. It goes on and on and on. Yeah. So I went, okay. So there's evidence to support the opinion that open studios are not good. Mm. And yet every architecture office I've ever worked in has them. Certainly. My question would be, though, mainly, A, it's like a, a habitual or a stereotypical reinforcement, right? Because, again, every studio that I've ever been in school is just one big open air. Yes. I mean, like, so it's kind of ingrained in this as a way of working, I think. But I wonder if all those stats, though, are not, I would be interested to get those broken down into fields of study. Yeah. Yeah. For accountants versus graphic designers versus whatever it is. Because I do feel like, partly, I wonder, that if you were going to just everybody gets an office in the building as an architect, that seems very isolated. Like it's really the possibility of me getting up out of my office and walking to the next office to me to ask them a question as opposed to if I can just stare across my desk and go, hey, what do you think about this? It's completely different. In that article, there's a research study that suggests, and it's a big number, that what you're saying is, of course, that would make sense. Like the opportunity that I can just look to my left and say, Hey, Bill, can I ask you a question? It doesn't happen. They're like, it doesn't happen. In fact, Interesting. like as human beings, we're predisposed to want to put up, they call it the fourth wall. Yeah. And it's a way to isolate ourselves from our surroundings. Sure. And they found that the amount of instant messaging and emails skyrocketed as opposed to just talking, that people actually collaborated and talked more face to face when they had to go walk to someone's office and do that. Interesting. It's too much. It's too much stimulation. It's too much whatever. So we just put ourselves in this little like, white box mentally. Interesting. Yeah. And we don't ever leave it because you can't. It's very interesting. But like you said, every class I had in school, every studio I had in school was open. Yeah. Every single office I've ever worked in was open plan. Yeah. Every single one of them. Yeah. I go, all right. Well, so the reports say one thing. My personal experience tells me something much different. Mm -hmm. So I find that interesting. So if we just say open floor plan, that's a thing. But clearly, like you said, there's ways that you can kind of break that down so that maybe it doesn't feel like a cubicle farm. Yeah. When we were doing our studies in the office, I was calling them veal fattening pens. <laughs> and uh, everybody told me to quit. Yeah, that's, that's quit not good, that. man. That's not a good thing. <laughs> They're like, are you calling us livestock? I was like, no, no, no. It's just the idea that you live your life in this box. Exactly. Are we, are we young calves for the slaughter? Is that what you're trying to say, man? Yeah. They didn't like it. So yeah, I said, I okay, we'll call them VFPs. And they're like, no, we know what that means. That means, yeah. 
He's calling them hog pins. There it is. Yeah, even worse. I think they would. That would really set people off if I said hog. Yeah. Go, okay. Sheep okay. pins. Anyway, yeah, I got you. So let's break it down. The way that we've looked at it is, we said, okay, so there's offices, like straight up private offices, mm-hmm. partial offices, which we'll get into that in a minute. You're like, what's a partial office? Yeah, I'm like, what is that? And then there's workstations. We have a combination of, of all those things. Which is open office, essentially, happens in the- Which is open office. The workstation happened in the open office area, sure. We went to great lengths to not have this kind of vertigo-inducing row after row of desks. I think we go like three rows, and then we have something that interrupts mm-hmm. it. And it might be like a high top or a collaboration area or something, but it's not just like- Yeah. You know, it's like looking down a hotel hallway that doesn't have like door drops and yeah. like you feel like you're in a Mel Brooks film yeah. sort yeah. of thing. So, okay. So offices, the people who have offices in our space are the owners. Mm-hmm. They have offices, sure. HR, accounting, yeah. and legal. Admin type people. Sure. And there's a certain amount of, they need an enclosed lockable space. Private space. Yeah. And so- that makes sense to yeah. me. Now, the partial offices technically are supposed to be full-on offices, but we had a mini uprising, and we demanded to not have private offices. So the owners of the company said, principals, you're going to get private offices. Mm-hmm. And we're like, we don't want private offices. And they're like, too bad you're getting them. <laughs> and we're like, too bad we're designing the office and we're going to keep taking them out until you lose the will to keep fighting us on this. Until you acquiesce, yeah. And so we argued. Their argument was, look, for the roles that you have in the office, you're going to have people that are going to come knock on your door and say, hey, can I talk to you for Mm -hmm. a minute? And they're going to want to close the door and have a conversation with you. Sure. Our argument was, okay, that's fair. We agree that that will most likely happen. But that might happen 5% of my day, that that might happen. Mm -hmm. So the other 95% of my time, what am I giving up? What kind of openness am I giving up to the people that I collaborate and work with all the time? Mm -hmm. Because all the principals, we all sit in the same VFPs now that everybody else does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we like it. We like being in the mix of things. Secretly, I kind of like the idea of, (laughs) you know, I have my own space. I kind of liked it. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we made them partial by not putting a glass or door on it. So we have an office that has three walls in it. Mm. They're on a corridor, and we don't have a front to our office. So if somebody's walking down the new murderer's row... You're right there. 15 feet of that walk is my office, but they could take a right at any point during those 15 feet, and they're in my space. You kind of have an alcove, a private alcove in a way, essentially. We called them boat slips. Yeah, there you go. Without a boat and hopefully without any water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, without any water, but, you know, you're a big tugboat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're also not deep. So they're 10 by 15. Yeah. Actually, they're a little smaller than that. But so instead of being 10 foot wide and 15 foot deep, they're 15 foot wide. 10 foot deep. 10 foot deep. And in each one of our spaces, we have our desk and that stuff, but we have a table and chairs. Yeah, a little meeting space kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so a collaboration zone. Mm -hmm. So I can say, hey, my team, come into my office. We're going to have a chat. We're going to work through some stuff. So I have pin-up boards and whiteboards Mm -hmm. and magnet. Yeah, yeah. I have all that stuff. So I don't have to go take up one of the other collaborations. I have one in my space. 
And that's true for all the principals, mostly. Two of them said, no, I want a door and I want glass. Mm. So two of them actually do have private offices, but three of them do not. Three of us were like, we don't want that. Except you secretly did want that. Well, you know what? (laughs) So at my office, from 2003 to like 2015 or whatever, the firm I worked for, there were two owners and they had private offices, but they had one door. So you would open up their one door, walk into like a vestibule and go left into his office and right into her office. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if they wanted to have a private conversation, it really wasn't that private. That person could probably hear it unless they're talking a little quiet, but they could have a private conversation and move between each other's space without having to go into a conference room or something, okay? Mm-hmm. And then I had my own private office. So right across the kind of common space from theirs was my office. Yeah. And it was, it was awesome. Yeah. I think it was like 10 feet by 20 feet. Mm-hmm. I had a 20-foot long desk. <laughs> it was the greatest ever. And what I liked about it actually was, I mean, I missed out sitting by people and having the chats, but for me, since I'm so prone to distraction, distract myself by telling stories about leprechauns, it was a good way for me to focus. And then I could also turn on music without having to put on headphones. Mm. So I found it a very productive space for me and I had no problems. And to this day, I don't have a problem getting up and walking to somebody. Yeah. That doesn't phase me in the slightest. So we have these three different types of spaces that people can work in. I'm curious, when you've got these workstations, earlier up you talked about benching or shared spaces. And so Mm -hmm. did you guys decide that everybody at least, like I have a permanent workstation that's mine? Yes. Okay. Because to me, that's the worst idea in history. I mean, I know a lot of giant firms that that's what they're doing was- Hoteling. Yeah. Whatever day you come in, you sit wherever you want. Yeah, I don't like that. 90% of the time, people sit at the same desk every day anyway, but the fact that I can't personalize my space at least just a little bit because yes. tomorrow, Thursday, somebody might sit there. To me, that's that's the worst. That's like the worst. Yeah. That seems to remove the greatest part of our humanity <laughs> is our ability to personalize <laughs> things. Yeah, 100%. So we're not doing that. You get a desk. It's your desk. And we have kind of a benching system is what we're going with. But everybody gets a stand-sit desk, Mm. and they have pedestal return for storage and all that kind of good stuff, but you can sit on them, too. So that means I could go sit down next to any person's desk and chat and sketch and look at their screen and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. And like we said, everybody gets a stand-sit. So if you want to stand up, great. If you don't, great. Doesn't matter. Everybody's getting a stand-sit desk. Mm -hmm. So we feel like we've got these different kind of spaces identified. But one of the things we've done, and I'm really, really interested to see how this plays out, not because we made a decision that I don't agree with. I actually agree with this decision. We tend to bloat out in our workspace with space that we don't use. For example, where I sit now, I have a eight foot long air quotes desk behind where I sit. So my workstation is kind of U-shaped. A U, yeah. That eight foot long desk or whatever that's behind me, I don't use it except to pile garbage on. Yeah. Like it's just holding stuff that I haven't felt the need to put away. Yeah. It's an open storage platform. (laughs) Yes. And so everybody has this. It's not like we're laying out drawings like we used Mm. to. So the idea that you have to have a return doesn't really exist anymore. Most people don't use paper. They're not printing out drawings. So we made the conscious decision to give everybody a nice long desk, but they have less 
of a footprint than they currently have because we took that square footage to create more collaboration, open zones, lounge space. We have a thing we call the war room, bigger break room. So we said rather than take six square feet a hundred times over and it just disappears, let's not waste it and create seven more offices that can be used as meeting rooms. Let's add to this war room, which could be a studio as well, in addition to a gathering space for the entire firm. Let's use the square footage in a way that allows people to work differently during the day than how they're forced to work now. Like you don't have the choice. If you come to the office we have now, you work at your desk or you get one of the three conference rooms to work in. And we have enough meetings where no one's parked in one of those meeting rooms all day long just because they don't want to work at their desk. Sure. But now, and I think I wrote it down here. So we have three meeting rooms now, but we'll have seven in our new office. So we have four more collaboration zones, which are, they're meant for teams of three to six people to gather around a table, monitor on the wall, the whole thing. Yeah. So if we're going to have a call with a client, it's not six people at six desks all calling into a meeting. It's six of us all going into a room that's designed for six people and sitting at a table when we're calling in the client. Yeah. We felt like that was a better culture fit for how we wanted to present the way we collaborate than six individual white towers, you know, scattered about the office calling in on a single call. But of the seven that we have, that doesn't include any of the principal or the partner spaces, which means there would be nine more. So we have three conference rooms four collaboration rooms, and nine partial and private office meeting spaces. Because all the owners and all the principals, there's a policy that we're not there, you can use it. Okay. All right. I follow you. Yeah. So for example, Andrew Bennett, he's one of the owners of the firm. He's not in the office. And honestly, if he's not using it and he is in the office, I could go into his office and use the giant table he has in his office. Oh, okay. If I wanted to have a meeting in there, I could. Gotcha. And in fact, when he's not there, they unlock all the partner's offices so that if you want to go in there and have a meeting, you can. Hmm. And the ones that I called the boat slip earlier, those can't even be closed in. So if you want to go work at a marker board or sit at the round top that I have in the chairs yeah. and have a meeting, knock yourself out. I'll have a monitor mounted on the wall that's in addition to my desktop monitors so that if somebody wants to do a call and project it to that TV screen they'll be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So we've created a lot more spaces for people to leave their desk and work. Think of it like in co-working spaces. They have different tiers of subscription. Sure. One of the subscriptions, like the lowest one gives you access to the common room. Yeah. And they found that the common room is typically like the most energized, active, in-demand space because that's where stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. So we're like, how can we create more of those type of spaces for people to get together and collaborate? Yeah. It doesn't happen at their desk. Sure. Right? So a question there for you in that sense. You know, I've done a couple of things where we've called it a focus room or a privacy room or something like that. It's a small space for one to two people and they can go in and if I wanted to go in there and like work, I could go in there and work and not be interrupted, give myself a personal office in a way, but it's just a room. Sure. You know, if I need to go take a phone call because something crazy is happening, I don't know, my mom's sick or something and I'm having to have this conversation in the middle sure. of whatever. Do you have some spaces like that in there or how do you guys deal with that? 
Well, any of the spaces I just mentioned technically qualify as one of those type of spaces. Okay. If you need to take a private phone call and you need a room that you can enclose off and sound protect that conversation from the surrounding environment. Yeah. There's lots of those rooms you can go into. But we also have like, you know, we have mother's rooms. We have places where people can go in and, and have very, very private moments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely a consideration. But in addition to those spaces, which provide acoustical privacy in addition to surrounding privacy we have in our break room and we're gonna have to phase this in because we're running out of money (laughs) you know everything's expensive for us just like it is for our clients yeah and so we had this idea and i'll say we it was me and it didn't work i mean everybody loves the idea i'll pat myself on the back for saying that this is a great idea and everybody still wants it person who priced this out were like did you not look at the drawings because there's no way what i drew up costs what you're saying it's going to cost mm-hmm. i go let me talk to one of my i'm going to moonlight that i go i'll build this myself with half the amount of money that they're saying it's going to cost yeah, yeah so what we've done is we've got this multi-purpose space that we call the war mm-hmm. room and everyone's like we should find a different word than war room something more pleasant yeah currently it's still the war room gotcha and the war room is immediately adjacent to our break room. In our current space, it's one edge of it. People walk, when they walk from one side of the office to the other side, there's an open hallway that you walk in between break room is to your right, war room is to your left. And the break room is really like a really shallow U-shape. Just another alcove. It's defined by a back wall and an island. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And then there's the walkway. And then we have, quote unquote, the war room. So. Our new war room is like four times the size of our current war room. It's a lot bigger because we're viewing it more as a gallery as opposed to just a where we can jam all the employees into one space and have a meeting. Mm -hmm. And so the wall that divides the war room from our break room, I thought what would be cool is if we could move it. And I don't mean like demountable partitions. So what I drew up and designed were these fully enclosed booths. So imagine a banquette that sat on a little plateau, had wheels underneath it. Sure. Had a top, had three sides on it. The three outside faces were all covered in a tackable surface, which I go, we can make it homosote, just like we used in architecture school. Sure. But I can put them all in a row, and now I have a wall that separates the break room from the war room. Mm -hmm. Or I can roll these out of the way. And now we have like a party space and I can have these little islands that float. So if we want to have like an art gallery kind of pin up or if we want to have like a, hey, it's Boca Pals 50th anniversary and we want to mount our coolest projects yeah. on these things yeah. and have people walking around having wine served and I don't know, cheese biscuits. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what people eat at those parties. Yeah, yeah. But we could do that and we get that combined space. Well, one of the things that those, the movable booths do for us is they would actually allow somebody to have a place where they could work that's not their desk. Mm-hmm. Like you could set up shop in one, and it's a big booth. Yeah. Right. It was like six people can get into these booths. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. They're not tiny. Mm. But the idea is that if you want to go park in the break room, or I mean, if you want, you could roll this box into the war room. Sure. They shouldn't be hard to move the way that we, the way I kind of drew them up. Yeah. They wouldn't be hard to move. And so if you want to like roll it and put it in front of the glass, and give yourself like absolute privacy, even though you're on the eighth floor. Yeah. And that's where you want to work. You can do that. So that was going to be one of those. And I didn't make this a topic, but we have conversations about, we need to have Easter eggs in the office. Mm. Things that we didn't buy, things that we made, these little touches that were are unexpected. And the idea that you could have these booths that you could roll and 
turn them into backdrops for speakers or have a little private office for yourself and sit at this large banquette. Now, again, you wouldn't have acoustic privacy because someone, in theory, could hear you. But you're so removed from everybody, you're probably 50 feet from the nearest desk. Yeah. And you've got a couple walls between you and that moment. Yeah. So somebody would have to be like walking up to it and listening like a creeper. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one of the things that we put in. That's one of our Easter eggs that I anticipate that they will show up at some point, but they won't be a day one item. Yeah. I don't know if it should be embarrassing or not. I mean, we weren't flip or disastrous or like, you know, just sloppy with what we did, but it came in like 100% over budget, just like every other project we're working on right now. Oh, the office finish out? Yeah. Brutal, brutal. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. It's just the nature of the beast right now, it feels like, though. Everything. Yeah, and like, you know, we're like, hey, we got to buy new benching systems for 100 people. Yeah. Like, that stuff is not cheap. No. They're like, well, we can bring our furniture that we bought in 1985 over. And we're like, no, no, no. We'll find another way. Yeah, let's not do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll do something else because no. It's not a new office if we just drag all our old crap over, you know? Yeah. And you know what? The financial part was, it was a hard sell. Sure. The practical realities of why we felt like, let's find a way to make this happen was not a hard sell. Sure. We didn't have to convince anybody that this, this was a positive thing. This was a good thing. A good thing to do. That this is going to improve the work. Yeah. The work environment for everybody. Well, so kind of brings up another topic, which is office design and culture. Because again, we started off today's conversation with talking about defining culture and using your office as part of the equipment you use to actually do your job, number one, but also define who you are. Mm-hmm. because. If someone were to tell me that the office design doesn't impact their culture, I would just shake my head and go, I don't think I can have a conversation with you. (laughs) Yeah. Like that seems like something I shouldn't have to prove up. Yeah. Because clearly it does. And clearly it should. Because I actually told this story in a post I wrote called, I think, Golden Handcuffs. And this was a long time ago. And the premise behind that story was how you shouldn't take a job just for the money. And there's a lot of similarities to that story as to what's going on right now. Well, I mean, we got a lot of people being offered absurd amount of money to come work someplace. Mm-hmm. To come work. Yeah, yeah. And I learned this lesson the hard way. So I tell people, I go, look, you getting a big raise is awesome. I love that for you. I'm super happy about it. But you got to understand, it's not going to take long before that's just what you make. Yeah. If the motivation for you doing it was, well, it's a crap job, but man, they're paying me a lot of money to do it. Eventually, the money's not going to be the sweet spot anymore. And all you're left with is, I got a crap job. The crap job. Yeah. yeah. At some point, the shine wears <laughs> off of that new money. Right. And still doesn't seem like enough or what you deserve or whatever you want to call it. And then now you're stuck in a crap job. Yes. That you feel like you don't get enough money for. Yeah. And just imagine if a recession comes, which we all know that it's coming. Mm -hmm. We all know that it's coming, right? Yeah. And the first people that everyone's going to kind of raise an eyebrow out is, hey, you know that two-year guy that we gave $400,000 salary to? Yeah. I think it's time to let that guy go. Yeah. That's coming. That's coming. Yeah. We can save a lot. Right? By getting rid of that. With one move. So, but part of when I wrote that post, it had to do with the firm I was leaving was fine. It was a big firm. It was actually, it was RTKL, actually. Oh. And the truth is, is I was really immature. I mean, I'm still immature, but I was really immature back then. <laughs> Even more so. 
even more so. And this was probably at my peak. I don't like people telling me what to do. And I don't like people telling me what I can't do. Yeah. And I don't like the optics of people who follow rules without understanding what the point of the rule is, as opposed to the execution of the rule. Mm -hmm. So in this case, I think I started working there on like January 2nd. And they told me, hey, you don't get a bonus this year because you weren't here for a year. I was like, I was here for 364 days. Yeah, I got you. 364 days. And I don't get a Christmas bonus because I wasn't here for a year. A year? Yeah. I had this moment where I thought, and again, this is not right. But I went, if you're this stupid to what the point of that rule is opposed to like, this is how you execute. I go, what other kind of stupid stuff are you doing (laughs) that I don't know about? And I was in my 20s at this time. And I was like. I'm walking around like I'm so much smarter than everyone else. So I was like, I'm out of here. This is stupid. Mm-hmm. It really, I found it offensive. And it wasn't about the money, to be honest yeah. with you. It was about the stupidity of 364 days. One day or whatever. It's not 365. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. So somebody told me about this firm and I drove by it and it was late and they had the coolest office. They were in this cool building and they had a cool interior layout. And I just thought, man, that stuff looks cool. Clearly they do great work. They didn't, (laughs) you know, and I was there four months and it's the only job I've ever had that has never graced my resume. I've never told anybody. They probably think I was in juvie or something during those four months. I don't ever tell people where I was. I backpacked my way through Europe for four months. I needed a break. (laughs) Yes. I did something else. Yeah. Yeah. But since it was a golden handcuff story, I left because I was like, I can't see a future here. Mm -hmm. And if I can't, and actually I had this conversation with one of the principals. They're like, well, you didn't give me much time. I was like, I don't want your job. Your name's on the door and I don't want your job. So I need to just be gone before I get used to all this extra money that you're paying me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To clearly work in a garbage place. (laughs) That's why you're paying a lot. It's because working here is terrible. I got you. But I was 100% influenced by the office and how cool I thought it was. And that's where they got you. Sucker. Like our office is so cool. It looks cool. And you were like, yeah, if it looks cool, it must be cool. Yeah. So that's been in my head for 20 something years. (laughs) So I'm well aware of the fact that the design of a creative office and I'm going to say architects are creative, interior designers are creative. It 100% plays a role when your clients come through, when potential employees come through. I want them to look at the space and go, I want to work here. Mm-hmm. This place is amazing. Yeah. That's a big part of it. Sure. So I think those Easter eggs that we talked about, now we're talking about what little details can we mix in to personalize it? What kind of little groovy touches can we do that aren't super celebrated. It's almost like you got to discover them. Yeah. I don't know if I told you this or not. I should take a picture. I should include it. So we're going to be getting a new 3D printer. And I hadn't been doing a lot of, this is the first place I've ever worked where we had a 3D printer. So like all good, diligent, resourceful people, if you're going to use something, you're like, let's put it through the laps. Like let's, yeah, let's see what this thing can do. Let's blow it out. Yeah. And so started that process. I was like, "Mm, this isn't that great. We have to learn how to break our model apart. What orientation do we print it so we get better prints? Mm -hmm. There was a lot of little nuanced things that we had to work through. Oh, yeah. And so I was like, we need case studies. So I ended up taking 3D models of the cause character in different positions, standing, sitting, bunny ears, the whole thing. (laughs) And I printed out like a dozen of these things to see like, 
what happens when the filament's old or if it's this brand or if it's that brand or if it was my little case study. Mm -hmm. When it was all said and done, I had seven that were pretty good. And uh, I decided I was going to hot glue them to different surfaces in my office. (laughs) I didn't ask anybody if I could do this. Uh, Yeah. I just did it. I was up there one weekend. Got the glue gun and went to town. And I didn't tell anybody about it either. And it's been months since they've been glued to the wall. And they're scattered about half of the office. And they're in places like, if you just look, you'll see them. Not your specific office space, but like the whole office. The whole office. (laughs) You know, like. I got you. There's two in our break room. There's one glued to the wall. There's one he's sitting on an air duct. (laughs) All you got to do is if you just look where it is, you'll see it. They're not hidden that well. That's funny. Yeah. But they're just outside of like everybody's. If you put blinders on somebody, yeah, like this is not, their world. Yeah, if they just looked up like ten degrees, they'd see these little three D printed cause characters glued to the wall in a bunch of places. That's funny. And there's been moments where somebody discovers them, and then all of a sudden they're like, "If I found one, there's got to be more than one." <laughs> nobody knows who. Nobody knows I did it. Yeah. So probably about <laughs> maybe about a dozen people have figured it out or like somebody spilled the beans because they saw me printing them like people knew that i'm the one that's printing stuff you're the one that were making those things yeah yeah well i took one picture because they looked like a boy band and i put it on my instagram feed so it didn't take some people long to figure out that i was behind it but they'd come over and they'd say how many are there and i go i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) and so i like the idea that there's these little yeah things that you don't expect that all of a sudden you look up and go wait what what is that yeah. I want our office to be filled with those sorts of things. With those things, yeah. Not necessarily those things. Not exactly the ones that you have, but but something, yeah, similar. Yeah. That give that same sense of sort of wonder or... Whimsy. Excitement. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. Just something fun. Yeah. Because it seems like the sort of thing that if you had a stick up your butt, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but... So this should be interesting because I would imagine that I'll probably talk about this on the blog site for a while, just as it kind of comes together. I don't know if you're in the Metroplex, I'm sure there'll be a party once we actually move in. We should move in sometime in April. That's how far out we probably are. Oh, yeah. So it should be fun. I'm really curious as to all these little, there's literally a dozen experiments that we're working through in an effort to make things better for people. Mm Mm-hmm. Because now people have the choice to work from home. I want them to not want to work from home because it's so awesome coming in the office. Yeah. That's a Herculean task that I've assigned myself. Yeah. But I'm going to give it a go. I think that's a common challenge for any new office space or office environment that's happening now, right? I mean, you guys do offices. That's the challenge. How do we make people want to come back to the office? Mm -hmm. Typically, I would say as architects, it's not like we can do, oh, here's a gym and here's a this. You know, we can't. Fill it with all these crazy ass amenities to bring people in because we've got a spa and a sauna and nap pod room and <laughs> yeah, and all that kind of stuff. Cause that's not really, we don't have that kind of coin. And so, yeah, I think the idea of figuring out how to do certain things again to foster, I think it's more about, you know, fostering that culture that makes you want to come in. Mm-hmm. And again, how does the office design sort of make those things happen? Because it can, even though apparently I'm, completely wrong in the sense that an open office would do that but (laughs) i think still the office design the way everything works can definitely make that happen well i think i'm gonna have to go do some more research to find out if they actually did 
isolate it by what type of office it was. Because I can't imagine that we're all getting it wrong. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, I mean, if, was that all accountants or, you know, attorneys or right. who's doing this stuff? Data entry people as opposed to creative people. Well, I was thinking, yeah, are they talking to call center people? Are they? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'd want a little bit more breakdown of that data to see how it works. I'm going to see what I can find out. So we're going to move on to the what's the rank. You know, I met a young man the other day. I went up to Knoxville and gave a presentation just, you know, talking about architecture and stuff. Mm. And I had a guy came up to me and he goes, man, what's the next rank? Like, what are you going to do? And I go, oh, you like those? He goes, oh, I love them. He goes, I love that that's the way that they end. That's funny. I was like, okay, so we know one person really likes them. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. So hopefully you know who you are. I'm not going to call your name out. I don't know. Maybe they'd like for me to call their name out, but I'm not going to. You know, this one's for you. This ranking is for you. You ready? So I don't know if today's ranking is going to be incredibly easy or ridiculously hard. I don't know. We're going to do another top three. Are you ready for this? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I got top four or five, so I'm trying to figure out exactly where we're going to fall. But I know. Five is easy. It's tough. I know. Yeah. Okay. So today we are ranking the top three pizza toppings. And I'm going to say that cheese is included, so we don't have to waste one of our selections on what should be assumed when it comes to pizza, that it has cheese. Okay? I was going to ask, like, I mean, is sauce and cheese, those are kind of out, right? Like, that's there. Yeah, those are included. Yeah, okay. All for right. sure. I mean, I'm, I'm good with that. Now, if you want to say, ooh, I want a good white sauce, like, that's, that's different. different. From, if, sure. If someone just says, I want a pizza, it's going to have bread, it's going to have <laughs> tomato sauce, and it's going to have cheese. Cheese. Like, yeah. Those are standards, right? That's, yeah, a, okay. that's normal. All right. But if you go, I want cheddar, you can swap that one out if you want, but that's going to count. I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. All right. That helps me out then maybe, but I was still making the assumption that those were included. Like it's not a pizza if you don't have that stuff. Yeah. You have to have that stuff. Yeah. Well, here's something else. One of the challenges. I think I'm falling victim to this, quite honestly. It really shouldn't be choose your favorite pizza and then list the ingredients on it. I know. Like this is my favorite pizza and this is one ingredient one. This is ingredient two and here's ingredient three. Yeah. That's what makes this one hard. That's what I was just thinking about. Because if I go, look, this is the test. I'm killing myself with this because I don't pass this test currently with the, the ones that I put on my list. Uh-huh. If we're going that the default is bread, tomato sauce, and mozzarella cheese, mm-hmm. if you go number three is banana peppers, well, would you eat a pizza that just had banana peppers on it? Mm, yeah. As a standalone, as opposed to, well, it works in concert with this, that, and the other. Oh, okay. That could make things hard. That could ruin this whole list. So is that the way we're doing it or no? I don't know. What? Okay. Yeah, I can't decide. <laughs> I think two of my toppings are fine. I'm going to say no. You don't have to eat a, a dedicated pizza with your the one, one topping. Three topping on it. <laughs> Yeah. I want to say that's not reasonable. That's good. That's good. Because otherwise I think that you're going to go, well, there's cheese pizza. Okay. So basil. So I have a margarita. Like yeah. that, what is that one? Yeah. Uh, and then it's going to be like, you're going to be choosing meats or something. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's get to it. I think we've got the rules set up enough to where we can move. Yeah. No, I think it works. I think it works. Okay. Number three. Let's go. Number three for me, <laughs> it's going to be a meat, but it's, it would be beef, like hamburger meat. 
ground beef pizza. Really? Yeah. Man. Yep, yep, yep. Of all the meats. I know. I know. Burger meat. I know. But that's just. I've never understood I that. I like it. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because. Well, you it, do like burgers. Yeah, but I don't know if it's because it like, it starts to taste like, I mean, with the tomato sauce and the cheese, it's kind of a pasta sauce feel, like a meat sauce, and that's why I like it. So it's like meat <laughs> sauce and bread. But all yeah, right. that's it. And I know it's boring. My choices are going to be super boring, I'm telling you, right up front. Mine, are people are going to go, that's terrible. Uh, My number three, you're going to go, that you <laughs> lost. It was 100%. Uh, all right. Well, that, okay, so hamburger. Yeah, straightforward, right? Okay. Eh. Hamburger would not probably, it would take me a while before I got to hamburger. Again, I was borderline here because I could have said Italian sausage, which is still hamburger. Yeah, but that's way better. I mean, to me, there's, oh, there's not a better. whole lot of difference, but they're similar. It's a kind of a ground crumbly meat that goes on the pizza that gives it some flavor. Oh, that's, that's a terrible description of <laughs> sausage versus... <laughs> okay. All right. So hamburger meat, that's near three. My number three, you ready for this? No, but go ahead. Asparagus? Is it? Because that's what... <laughs> <laughs> uh. It is green. Okay. Green olives. Oh, I can't do it. Yeah, you know no. what? I know. Nobody's going to be down with that one. No. And I will tell you that there is a line where you have enough and too much. And it's not that far from zero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a fine line in there of... Yeah. Again, because is that one where you would just eat a whole green olive pizza and be like, this is great. You know what? I could, actually. Oh, I, really? Oh. I don't like black olives. Really? I don't like black olives. Interesting. No, nah, not really. And you know, and I think, I think this is, might be part of how I'm broken, but my parents were martini drinkers, and we had green olives. Martini drinkers. So you had olives all the time. Yeah. I used to like eating the green olives. Now, they didn't come out of their martinis when I ate them. Yeah, sure. They <laughs> yeah, came they out were, of the jar. This was pre, yeah, this was pre-martini olives. Sure. But I really liked them. And so- yeah. I like them on pizza as a topping, but I don't like them when uh, one of the local pizza places, they don't do them in slices. They do them like, it's like a chop. Like diced up, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they will carpet bomb the pizza. Yeah. And you'll get one where you're like, every bite, you're like, I think I just ate like seven olives in one bite. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah. I want just like green olive. A sprinkling. Essence. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. that's fair. Like one every three bites. That's about uh, what I, I got gotcha. you. But it's a classic. I love it. I don't mind green olives themselves. Like, I'm like you, right? If I'm going to eat just a plain olive, I'm not going to eat a black olive. I'll eat a green olive, you know, with a little pimento in yeah. the hole and all that, whatever. I'll eat those. That's fine. But on pizza, yeah, no. I, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's a textural thing. To me, they, it makes pizza a little more mushy. I'm not surprised in the slightest that you're, like, out on olives, <laughs> green olives for pizza. All right, let's get to your number two. I wouldn't be surprised that it's another meat. Uh, not yet, but maybe. No. Number two for me is going to actually be sliced jalapenos. Okay. Because I like spicy stuff. I like a little spice on my pizza. So jalapenos of some kind. But again, I'm like you. I don't want a thousand of them. <laughs> one every couple of bites Just is like good. A dappling. Yeah. I don't want baked okay. on jalapeno sort of thing. For people who may not... Jalapenos down where we live. It's not that shocking. Yeah. If I order 10 pizzas, one of them's going to have jalapenos on it because yeah. people like it. Sure. What people need to understand is it's not raw jalapenos that have been cooked. They use pickled jalapenos. That's what they put on those pizzas. I don't think I've ever seen a raw jalapeno cut up in a slice and then baked onto a pizza because you can tell the color is different. Mm. 
The color of a pickled jalapeno is different than that of a raw jalapeno. Regular one. That then gets baked. And I prefer raw. Ugh. They're too hot. Because well, they've got more heat. That's why I like them. It's too more heat. It's too hot for me. I normally don't like any kind of pickled jalapeno. If I want jalapeno, it's fresh sliced jalapeno. Mm. Can I like that on like my sushi. Yeah. Thinly sliced. But... <laughs> Yeah. I'm telling you, if you put a jalapeno slice just on the counter and I ate it, I'm like, okay, I can eat it. It's hot. I can eat it. It's not a problem. Mm-hmm. You heat it up, it's like a thousand times hotter. I don't know yeah, what happens. Like the, yeah, the yeah. oil is released or something. It's so much hotter. Mm-hmm. It gets warmer. Yeah. I have to steer clear of that as an ingredient. So I like them. Okay. That's my next one. It's not crazy. No, I told you. Mine are all pretty boring. Okay. We'll see. My number two. Care to venture, like what kind of topping it? No, be? I'm not even to guess. You're throwing me off on all these things already. If it's pineapple, okay. I'm gonna crawl through the TV or don't crawl the thing. <laughs> no, punch no, 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 I don't. I'm not a big fan of hot fruit. So, <laughs> number two for me is white onions. Okay, that's a good one. I could go green onion, but sometimes if they get a little charred, green onion is a little bitter. Yeah, no, no, I like right, but I like cooked onion. On my pizza. No, Again, I don't need a ton of it, but I like it. I tried to make not go like, I like meat, meat, and meat. Yeah. So. I know. That's what I was concerned about because my toppings all go good together on a single piece of pizza. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Mine do too, so I'll take it. But yeah, I like onions. It was actually, that was in one of my top five. Was it? Was onions because I like, they're done right and they're cooked and they're there. Now, here's my question. I've eaten some where it's like more like strings. If it's an onion and the mm-hmm. ring, and it's a ring that's kind of cut in half or something, basically, right? Is that versus like diced or thickly chopped, right? I prefer thickly chopped. Yeah. When I've had the rings, it's typically a red onion uh, is when I've seen it. I don't like those. The diced ones, I prefer. That's why I felt the need to say white onion, because yeah. in my mind, that tells you that that's a diced onion, not a, gotcha. a ring of an onion. Yeah. But if you're going to have like a barbecue chicken pizza... That's going to have red onion on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just that's how that comes. That's yeah. a default. Yeah, which is the reason why I don't like that. I don't like having to bite and... And drag? Yeah. <laughs> the <bowl. laughs> Or whatever. Like, make sure that I'm biting through that onion so that it doesn't just come with me as I pull away the pizza. Yeah. You know, that's the part I don't like about yeah. the ones. All right. That's fine. I get I'm that. all for diced. Okay. I bet. I wouldn't be surprised if we have the same number one. Maybe. Everybody should be able to guess. Yeah. Let's hope. Probably maybe everybody's number one. So for me, it's going to be pepperoni. Yeah, it's pepperoni, for sure. But I have a caveat to that is I like the smaller pepperonis. The ones that cup. That cup and get a little crispy because it kind of gives it a little, Yeah, that's what you want. I don't want those kind that are like a four inch deli slice or something and there's like four of them on the pizza. I want the smaller ones that sit on top and they cup up when they get baked and they get crispy edges and that's what I'm talking about. I prefer those, but the other ones are good too. Not the deli ones that are like saucers. Yeah. Not those. It's like a slice of bologna. The ones that are like half dollars. Yeah, and that's okay. Half dollar size. That's, those are okay. I mean, yeah. it still would be my... Like if somebody goes, what kind of pizza do you want? And I go, uh, just pepperoni's fine. Yeah. I'm going to be happy for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I, I, I really like if it's good crispy, I don't say overcooked, but like crisped up pepperoni, right? That's like the best thing ever. I think when you bite into a piece of pizza and that's what you get. Well, you know, it's funny. For the most part, my entire life, it's been pepperoni pizza. Mm-hmm. Day one, my favorite, <laughs> current day favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was a period of time in college where I went sausage for a while. Mm. It was like sausage 
balls, not crumbles. Oh, like meatballs, kind of, essentially? Or like the, the little ones, the small ones? They were little tiny pieces, but they weren't crumbles. Yeah, yeah, you know? I got you. And actually, a really good pizza is a sausage and onion mm-hmm. pizza. That's a really good one. For sure. And the pepperoni green olives is a really good pizza. Interesting. I could eat all of these on one pizza. Like, my wife doesn't really love meat pizzas, mm. so if she just could get a veggie pizza all the time, where it has yeah. bell peppers and mushrooms, and it's like, it's got all the stuff on it. Yeah, I don't need salad on a pizza. It's too much stuff. Yeah. It doesn't have carrots or anything. <laughs> I can't imagine. I bet it's out there. But, like, I don't like mushroom pizza. I don't want to eat mushrooms. Yeah. I don't like, uh-huh. I like eating mushrooms. I don't want them on my pizza, though. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't mind, but I don't want them. On a, somehow they feel like they're always a little bit slimy on a pizza for some reason. It's like eating a really thinly sliced sponge. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I don't know. Yeah. Again, we were talking about my favorite kind of pizza versus the different toppings. Because, I mean, my favorite pizza is like a buffalo chicken pizza. Actually, that they, they make over at this joint in Fort Worth. It's just fantastic. I'm not convinced that that's a pizza. But again, see? Yeah. So Buffalo chicken is good. It's not a pizza. No, it's fantastic. Okay, look, we're going to wrap it up in just a second. Okay. Because now I'm like cracker crust, thin crust, oh. deep dish, you know, if you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you and I, when we were in Chicago, we went for deep dish. Mm-hmm. And it was good, but we ate like a piece and I'm like, okay, <laughs> loaf of bread. Yeah, it's I'm too like much. Block it. it doesn't stay warm long enough for you to eat it and still no. like have a cheese pull. And Yeah. I'm definitely a thin crust. For a while, I love the cracker crust. This is really just like... Toppings. That's all it was. <laughs> like, yeah, like, really thin thing. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I just want to eat melted cheese and pepperoni. Yeah, I like right? a thin to just an original kind of normal thickness. I'm not a big like pan deep dish. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's too much. I might could do it for like one piece. Yeah, but after that, I'm kind of like, no, I'm over. So I, I like it on the thinner side. But I also I don't like it when it's thin and like floppy. Like New York style pizza, right? Where it's it's a thin crust, but it's also not very firm or crisp, right? It's just sort of yeah. You have to fold it, or it's gonna bend down on you. Yeah, in order to eat it, yeah, it's gonna fall over. If it's thin, I kind of want it to be crispy. Yeah, I'm on board with that. Okay, I think we've reached a point where I'm gonna call it a wrap. Thank you for being with us today for episode 113 in Architect's office. Special thanks to our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. Want to get every new episode automatically downloaded? Make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast player of choice so you can get alerted every time we publish an unbelievably awesome new episode. While you're there, please take a few moments and leave us a five-star hamburger is not really a pizza topping rating. To get even more content, head over to lifeofanarchitect.com for blog posts, links, and info about this super crispy episode and all the website has to offer. You can even add your own voice and join the conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers.